Welcome to Income for Baby Boomers. If you want to learn about exciting new businesses each week from other boomers who speak your language and have started a unique and profitable business from home, you have come to the right place. For those who would like to try some of these low investment opportunities, stay tuned. We'll help you get started in your own profitable adventure. Now with your host and entrepreneur, Ken Queen. I'd like to welcome Tom Corley of Rich Habits. How are you doing, Tom? I'm doing great, Ken. Thanks for having me on your program. I know you've been on all kinds of uh, TV shows and radio interview shows, and I think that uh, you probably have a lot that we could learn. And if, if I could just go back for a second, Tom, to try to figure out how you got where you were, were you an entrepreneur since, uh, like, you had a lemonade stand, or <laughs> when did it all start? I, you know, I never thought of myself as an entrepreneur. I started out, you know, I came from, my background was, in my family, we, came, we were eight of us, and my uh -huh. dad was an accountant, and we, um, we were rich, and then we were poor. And uh, I remember most of my life being poor. So my dad and I were having a conversation when I was going to start college, and I didn't know what I wanted to do. And he said, well, if you become an accountant, you'll never starve. And, you know, having been through what we were through in our family where we, you know, we struggled financially – and my father had to lean back on to his accounting skills to just to keep us uh, from starving. Mm -hmm. uh, I uh, embraced that and I went into accounting. I quite frankly, Ken, it wasn't something I had any passion for. I, I was good at it because I was good at math. I found I to put food on the yeah, table. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know we, you know, so for most of my career, it's it's been just trying to become more expert at what I do, and and my I was honing my craft of being a tax expert. I have a master's in tax. I have a CPA, CFP, I have licenses all over the place. And, um, it, you know, it got me to, I guess you would say, upper middle class, I suppose. But I guess my first entree into becoming an entrepreneur is when I purchased my firm. I was the CFO previously of a publicly held company, and uh, they were relocating me all over the place. So I, uh, my family life was, was just, uh, I was, it, we were just dying. So I uh, quit, and it took about a year to figure out you know, what I wanted to do. And I, I purchased a CPA firm. I felt uh, I was good at business and I could uh, succeed at that. And almost immediately I be began, that was 2004, I began doing uh, research that became my re Rich Habits research study. Mm -hmm. uh, I spent five years researching the daily habits of 233 wealthy self-made millionaires, really, and 128 individuals who were struggling financially. And, um, then I spent about a year analyzing all that data, and uh, it took me on a completely uh, new path, a new career path, really, I guess. I found out that our daily habits are what dictate whether we're going to be rich, poor, or middle class, what type of house we're going to live in, whether it's a mansion or a slum. It's all our habits, and that's that's what I found in my research. So uh, I decided to write a book about it, Rich Habits, and you know, in 2013, that the book kind of took off thanks to Dave Ramsey. He interviewed me on his radio show. He was fascinated with my research, and uh, great show. Yeah, yeah, he he really uh, he dug what I was was talking about, and, I, and so uh, it led from one thing to another. And I was on in Success Magazine. They did a whole profile on me and my Rich Habits. I was on, you know. Uh, the front cover there, yeah, I saw that. Kiplinger's, uh, I was in uh, Money Magazine, I was in, you know, just recently More Magazine. I'm going to be in some huge Brazilian magazine at the end of this month called Apaca. 
So, and I've been getting TV interviews uh, and probably over 200 radio interviews I've done. So it's kind of taken me down a path that I think is really entrepreneurial because ironically, Ken, I'm applying the rich habits to uh, promoting and selling my books. You know, I have you know, Rich Habits and Rich Kids, two books, that one I just came out with, Rich Kids right. in September. So I've been using uh, the rich habits to promote, to try and become successful with this new author business. And I am having some success just uh, doing certain things every single day, day in and day out, like uh, like Rain Man, you know. Mm-hmm. So, and uh, I just keep at it and trying to get the message out, talking on podcasts like your own. And uh, slowly but surely, uh, the message is getting out there. So you've got into something that you're excited about now. Yeah, th- this is something I'll be doing. You, you, know, you know that you found your main purpose in life when you are going to do it for the rest of your life until the day you die. No matter how much money you make, it doesn't matter. And I, I never knew a main purpose in life. I knew pursuing an accounting degree. I knew getting your CPA. I knew studying for the CFP exam. I knew all of those things, getting my master's in tax. I knew all of that. Those were goals, big goals. A main purpose is completely different. It's something that reaches deep down inside of you. It gets the roots to your, if you're a tree, those roots go very deep. And uh, you can't pull yourself out of it if you tried. So that's how I know I found my main purpose. This is what I'm and you and you don't want to pull yourself out of it. <laughs> no, you know, I, I, every day I wake up now, all I think about is I can't wait to to do something that's related to rich habits. I I mean, the passion is incredible, and the frustration is incredible too. For those out there who are listening, who are pursuing something entrepreneurial, they know what I'm talking about. There's just nothing but failure, mistakes, obstacles, people standing in your way, doors that are closed and don't open. Just rejection after rejection. In fact, I wrote a great uh, blog post that uh, Steve Harrison from the radio television interview report, it's, uh, Jack Canfield sent him the blog post, and he uh, he emailed me and he said, hey, I want to run this on my, my blog. And it's uh, basically the blog was about my 35,000 uh, failures and mistakes. <laughs> it's a fair number. Yeah. And so, I mean, I've been at this for five years trying to promote the, my books and uh, nothing but failures and obstacles. And I, I'm honestly... Out of the 35,000 failures, I've got uh, seven or eight successes. That's it. And those successes have helped me sell close to 30,000 books. So are you still doing the uh, accounting business, or do you have someone running it for you now, or are you, uh, you're doing both? No, I'm, I've got actually got three businesses, and this is an interesting. I, I, part of my research, my Rich Habits study, I found that the self-made millionaires had at least three uh, revenue streams. So I said, oh, well, I'm just going to duplicate that. I didn't know how. Well, mm-hmm. the first revenue stream that popped up was the author author royalty. So now I'm, I'm making a decent amount of money on that. And the, the, the third revenue stream is my financial planning. So I've actually got three businesses, the CPA business, the financial planning business, and the author business. And the one you like best is the author. Yeah, you know why, why I like it? Because, of course, it's my main purpose. But I get to share with people some incredible information that I uncovered and research that is really uh, unique. And it's so unique. There isn't any research out there like it. The closest that comes to it was Dr. Thomas Thomas Stanley, who wrote The Millionaire Next Door. Uh, mm-hmm. he, he pretty much focused his research, though, on, you know, people that were in the upper middle class or wealthy, high net worth types. Uh, he didn't really look at the, the other side of the equation, which is, you know, what are you doing wrong? What are poor people doing that 
that's, mm-hmm. that's holding them back. So, in fact, the, uh, the Brazilian magazine piece, Apaca, that they're coming out with, they took my 244 Rich Habits questions and they hired a, um, a marketing firm. And they're taking that research, those questions, and they're developing research. Uh, they've got research now from in Brazil using my uh, template. So how did you come up with this idea? Well, you know, when I first took over here at Seraphis, I had a small business owner who had inherited a business, an auto repair shop, and he was very successful. His father was very successful, and he was, you know, took it over, and he was kind of, uh, I guess he was, wasn't su- as successful as his father. He just didn't have the same habits, as I found out, that his father had. He, he was doing certain things wrong, but it took, uh, it was a long bleed, you know, and finally he was on the verge of of uh, bankruptcy. The, the bank pulled his line of credit. He couldn't make payroll. And he came to me in desperation one night to try and he wanted me to help him with some banking relationships. He, mm-hmm. I, I couldn't get him a line of credit overnight like that. And so I told him so. And he broke down and started crying. And he said, what am I doing wrong, Tom? What are your successful clients doing that I'm not doing? And that really hit me emotionally. And I started, you know, the first place I, I visited was Dr. Thomas Stanley. I read his books. And they didn't help because they weren't telling me what you're doing wrong. It was just so I I decided to do my own research because I couldn't find anything out there, and uh, I, I didn't know where where it was taking me. But I just uh, you know it was kind of like pulled with an invisible hand. And the uh, next thing I know, I'm writing a book and um, I'm doing speaking engagements and I'm on TV and radio. Let's face it, our failures often teach us a lot more than our successes. Anyone can be a success, everything's going along well, but when you come against those walls and you got to overcome them, that's probably a big part of the secret of getting to success, you know. Yeah, I, I in fact it's funny that you mention that because I just posted I post every day to my blog at tip of the morning to you. Today's mm-hmm. post was the pursuit of failure. Really pursuing success is really about overcoming a mountain of mistakes and failure. And what's interesting is the the more mistakes and more failure that you have, the higher your mountain is and the greater your success. Yeah, the more obstacles, because if it was easy, then everyone would have been doing it. Yeah, and, and, and the more you fail, the more you make mistakes, the more you learn. They're like, ra- rail, they're like scar tissue on the brain. Uh, you know, you don't forget a mistake that cost you $10,000. Not, not very quickly. No, you don't forget a, a failure that causes causes you to go into bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you learn from your mistakes and your failures, and uh, then the ones that succeed are the ones that get up and take what they've learned and try again. And that that goes. I mean, when you look at it, I mean, you know, Edison didn't get the light bulb on the first try. You know, I mean, <laughs> no, you know, and and I I just found out. Uh, Tim Ferriss, who wrote the Four Hour Work Week, mm-hmm. he failed twenty six times trying to get a publisher, and uh, and we know that Colonel Sanders, he failed a thousand times in trying to get a, someone to partner with him on his recipe, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's, uh, it's about, and by the way, for the boomers out there, he was 65 years old when he finally found a partner. I, I just interviewed someone the other day, uh, and he, Michael Hagan, and he says, I always i am doing three things three different ways. So I got like 20 combinations going on. And he says, whatever one's working the best, that's the one I'm going to do. But everyone looks at him thinking he's crazy. He's doing, you know, <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's multiple of, things. It's part of the entrepreneurialism. You know, it's it's experimenting. The experimental part is is where you learn. It's the growth. See, the whole thing about being successful is not about the event, the success event. It's about growing into the person you need to be in order to, to for success to visit you. 
And what happens is by the time you're successful, it doesn't really matter if you lose all of your money the next day because the person that you became, the growth that occurred that allowed you to achieve that success in the first place doesn't evaporate with the money. So you can take what you know and what you've learned and apply it to something else and try again, and you'll you'll probably make uh, a lot of money again. Exactly, because the knowledge of how to do it is far more important than having the money, because uh, the good example is uh, people who inherit a fortune and lose it in a short period of time. They didn't know how they got it, and they don't know how to keep it. <laughs> you know, I see that all too often in my practice. When money comes easily, there's no value to it. Like what I've been doing the last five years, you know, every day you're, you're facing obstacles and, and it causes uh, this pursuit of success is, is not a, you know, a glamour thing. It's for the most part, it's uh, pursuing things. Nothing happens. You get depressed. And, you know, because you're passionate about it, you just keep at it. You keep showing up, as I say. And then eventually something happens. I call it the avalanche of success. It's an avalanche of success event that uh, sort of refuels you and it gets you going again. And uh, then you fail some more. And you make some more mistakes and then something happens. And it's just like a cycle. You just keep going through this cycle and uh, eventually you figure it out. You figure out what not to do and you figure out what to do. It's almost like the creator says, show me if, how bad you want it and then I'll give it to you. Yeah, I, I always like to say that success is very shy. It's hiding around the corner behind all your failures and mistakes. And it only shows its face when it realizes you're never going to quit. Okay, well, let's take a, let's take our, our listeners on a journey for a second, Tom, for them to get where you are. When you first got into this passionate thing of, you know, hey, here's my passion, what was the first couple of steps? What did you do first? You know, this is a journey, so it's not like all of a sudden it dawned on me, hey, this is my passion. I, I Honestly, I've been at it, uh, I've been doing the research was five years, so I've been at this probably 11 years now. Wow. And um, I would say within the last two years, I realized this is the thing that I'm going to be doing the rest of my life. And what makes that sink in is when you actually start to realize some success. Then you realize you're not wasting your time. Uh, because for the longest time, I thought I was. I thought this was, uh, I can't tell you how many times my wife would tell me. An expensive hobby. Yeah, that, what are you doing, Tom? My wife would say, that, you know, you're not, you're not making any money at this. Why are you doing it? And I and I. My only response to her is, I don't know. I can't stop myself. I just have to do it. I just is something I have to do. So uh, I just uh, kept at it. And I think that's the key persistence, the the passion for something. See, here's the thing. It's, it's like a domino effect. When you take action on something, then the passion either bubbles up or it doesn't. When the passion bubbles up, you become enthusiastic. And then there's no turning it off, the switch. You just have to keep at it because there's intuitively you just know it's the right thing to do. I can't explain why, but you just do. And it's uh, you just keep at it and, and you try harder. And you, I have this thing I call the daily five. I do five things every day. I try and process my failure, so to speak. Uh, so I'm looking every day I'm doing five things. And most of the time my goal is to be ignored by the media as many times as possible. And the more times I get ignored, it's like the more times I get rejected. I know statistically uh, somebody's going to say yes. So I just keep at, I keep at it, Ken, knowing that the, the numbers are in my favor now because I've been at this for 11 years. 
Now, how does a person decide, Tom, that, okay, I'm pursuing this particular goal, but I don't seem to be getting anywhere. Should I be switching ships? uh, Honestly, if you're having that conversation with yourself, uh, you shouldn't be doing it. Because if you're uh, pursuing something and you're doubting yourself and you're Mm -hmm. thinking, I'm going to quit, and you do quit, that wasn't your main purpose in life. You're going to know that it's something that you should be doing for the rest of your life when you have no choice. You can't you can't turn it off. Uh, there's no option. There's no yes or no. There's only yes. Yeah, and you just keep going. You just can't stop yourself. So if you think you're on the Titanic, you probably are. Yeah, and and if, and here's here's an interesting thing. Let's say you think you're on the Titanic, and mm-hmm. and you should quit, but you don't, and you keep at it then you know you, you're pursuing something that is probably your main purpose because you can't turn it off. Okay. Uh, too many people quit. You know, there's this thing about success is the successful people are successful because they never quit. They're also successful because they found their main purpose in life, that thing that they're passionate about, where quitting isn't an option for them. It doesn't enter my mind now. It, it won't enter my mind for the next 20 or 30 years uh, to stop doing this. I'm in. or I'm all, all in. And that's all in. <laughs> So as long as a person has any doubts of probably that he's going to make it, then that's probably not the right ship to be on for him. Um, Is that what you're saying? I have to be careful here because we're walking a fine line. I have doubts every day. I doubt myself every single day. Uh, I question whether what I'm doing all the time I'm devoting to this is worth it. But at the end of the day, I've spent a couple hours doing it. And then the next day I do it again. I think the big turning point in terms of, or the big definer in terms of whether or not you're pursuing something that you're passionate about and is your main purpose, is when you decide, you know, this isn't working, I'm going to quit. When you make that decision, then it isn't your main purpose in life because quitting would not be an option if it was. Okay, so you're thinking about quitting, you're not sure, but it sounds like this, that if you have a business that you're doing and you can get an adrenaline rush for a couple hours a day, you're and you've got failures the rest of the time, you're probably maybe on the right ship. Yeah, I think you know you're on the right course when your only options are bankruptcy or death. <laughs> uh, don't want to emphasize death too much. Yeah. Some people are thinking, hey, I'm, you know. <laughs> Here's the problem, I think, with a lot of uh, baby boomers is they've retired, and then suddenly now they think, well, I'm retired, I'm not worth anything now. So they get into this downward spiral and they haven't figured out, hey, you're just here's your chance to really begin. But they've they somehow got caught in this vortex. Yeah, the, I'll tell you what, the, for those individuals out there who are listening, who are thinking that way, the remedy to that is action. Just take action. Don't worry about the risk. Forget about the risk. There's risk in everything. You have to take action and to hell with the risks. And, and if you, yeah. you're going to find something. I, I, I believe that finding your main purpose, that anybody in the world can find their main purpose if they pursue one different activity every six months. In six months, you're going to know whether or not this is something that you, you lo- love and are passionate about. I knew immediately when I started doing the research for, for the Rich Habits, I couldn't stop myself. So I just kept going. After six months, you're either going to keep going because you can't stop yourself, or you're going to say, I'm going to try something different. That's okay. But every six months, now you're, let's say you're 65 years old, you're out there and you're retired and you've got nothing to do. My recommendation to you is every six months, pursue some new initiative that has the potential to earn money. And that also is cre- has some creativity in it. 
where you can, because creativity uh, keeps the brain active. And when you're getting older, you can be an 80-year-old with a 30-year-old's brain. We know this. The, the neuroscientists now know. Ten years ago, they, they, nobody would have agreed to that statement. They now know that it's true. In fact, uh, when you exercise your brains by taking on new novel tasks, uh, new activities, it actually uh, helps grow the neurons in the brain. It grows the axons stronger and thicker. It creates new dendrites, new branches that connect to other neurons. It actually grows the mass of your brain. You can grow your brain well into your 80s. Uh, all the other organs could start falling apart, but the brain will keep growing and evolving. It's amazing. That's the thing that separates humans from every, every other species is our, our brains continue to evolve and grow during our lives. You, whatever your IQ is right now at the age of 50 or 60, uh, you can be 10 or 20 points higher in 10 years just by uh, pursuing new initiatives. And that's a fact that they know that. It's called neuroplasticity. You can grow your intelligence. So you've got to pursue these new initiatives no matter what your age because uh, y your brain depends on it. So you, could you have the reverse? You could have a 30-year-old that does nothing and his brain's like an 80-year-old? Yeah, they're called couch potatoes. <laughs> There is the reverse of that. If you do nothing long enough, even at a young age, your brain starts to deteriorate. <laughs> yeah, and, and the interesting thing is when your brain is growing and evolving, you, you actually, I don't want to say you get younger, but it does have some magical effect on the body that, you know, when you're sharp as a tack, even as you get older, it shows up physically. I mean, I've seen people in my profession who are, you know, age 40 or 45 or 50, and they look like they're 100. Uh, yes. uh, they've given up. They've stopped growing as as individuals, as human beings. Uh, and I've seen 70, 80-year-olds. There's a guy I know, 71 years old. He's still working every single day, and he's in the gym three or four days a week, and, and he's challenging himself all the time mentally. And this guy looks like he's 50 years old. I'm not kidding you. You have to see it to believe it. It's amazing. He's got a full head of hair. He's strong. He's muscular. There's another client of mine that's just like this. He's into his mid-70s. He looks like he's a bodybuilder and because he, he exercises his mind every day because he's working. There's, there's a direct relationship. I'm, I'm certain one day they're going to, the scientists are going to find this out, that there's a direct relationship to your mental acuity and your physical well-being. And uh, probably doing what you hate all day for years uh, could age you like real quick. Yeah, that the, boy, that's a that's a whole another uh, can of worms that you, you point out there. You know that somewhere close to ninety percent. I have the exact data somewhere, mm -hmm. but somewhere close to ninety percent of the people who are currently working hate their jobs. Sad case, it's, sad number. Yeah, Ken, and it, it's. You know what it is? It's because they're not doing what they should be doing. They're not doing what they're passionate about. Uh, and you know, they, they're stuck. They got kids in college. They got to pay uh, tuition. And, but my solution to that, and this is, you know, in line with what I was started out this interview with by saying that I wasn't passionate about accounting. Well, I found something that I am passionate about and I'm still doing the accounting. And an interesting thing has happened is I, I don't have the same perception of the you know the accounting the negative perception that I had before that I have now because my whole mindset is shifted because I found something that I really am passionate about it kind of it kind of is a drip down effect uh, it it affects your whole outlook in life when you find something you're passionate about even the things that you maybe you don't like you find certain aspects of it that you do like that you can apply your creativity to because you've got right. something going on on the side 
that has you real motivated. It gives you that energy, that willpower, that staying power. And I think that's really an important facet of finding things on the side, hobbies that you could turn into money-making things that get you pumped up. It affects other aspects of your life. I just want to say that, and, and I know you're not saying anything against accounting because I met someone the other day that he said he's found accounting for entrepreneurs, a special angle of how to do accounting for entrepreneurs, and he's totally pumped about what he's doing. So there's nothing against any particular profession, right? No, you know, it, it's, it goes to the, the heart of the issue of finding that thing that really gets your emotions going, your positive emotions going. If you're doing whatever you're doing puts you in a negative emotional state, you're doing the wrong thing. You've got to find something that puts you in a positive emotional state. And I found it, you know, age 48, I'm 53 now, but at age 48, when I wrote Rich Habits, uh, I found the thing that I that turned me from a negative person to a positive person. So your wife says you changed? They're always a good thermometer. You know what's interesting? Because uh, until you, this is this is an interesting uh, experiment, this journey I'm on, because uh, when you succeed, everybody becomes a cheerleader for you. They stop questioning you. They stop challenging you because success is the ultimate proof that you're on the right track. Uh, and so I've had some success in the last two years with my books. And uh, I, I no longer am getting the, the pushback. So your wife is realizing, hey, this was really good for us after all. Yeah, those royalty checks look very nice. Okay, let's take one of our viewers right now, and he's got a accounting background. Let's say like you, there's lots of accountants listening. Uh, and he wants to break out and do something. Where would you recommend him to try to get to where you are? One thing you want to try and pursue if you're trying to find your main purpose in life is anything that's creative. Now, for me, I never even knew I could write, put two words together. I was good with numbers. So I, uh, I started writing, which is a creative pursuit. I have a, a client of mine who was, I think he was an, a chemistry teacher for most of his life, picked mm -hmm. up painting. And towards the end of his life, he was selling his paintings for thousands of dollars. Uh, so, so I think the key is you got to find something that's creative. And trust me, human beings, by their very nature, are creative. When they're engaged in a creative pursuit, that is when they're truly happy. Most of the time, individuals who are unhappy with their lives are unhappy because they're not doing anything creative. So what I'm saying is find something that is creative that you can develop a, a creative skill in, whether it's playing the piano, writing singing, you know, painting, it doesn't matter. Podcasting is a creative pursuit. Find something, like I said, there's a six-month window, in my opinion, where you pick up something, some creative pursuit, and within six months, you're going to know if this is the thing that you're going to like doing or not. And, and just try new things in the beginning, because you don't know what it is that is going to really hit your buttons, your, your passion buttons, until you take action and start doing different things. Novelty, the brain loves novelty. The brain is always looking for new and new things. And when you start pursuing something creative, it's new all the time because you're developing your creative skills all the time. My writing skills you know, from five years ago to today are completely different. I'm at a completely different level. But even five years ago, you did really well. You brought the book out. Yeah, and, and I didn't even know I had uh, this... this uh, a natural talent for writing. But, you know, when you're pursuing different things, different creative pursuits, you're going to find certain things that you just have a natural talent for. 
And when you find those natural talents, you're going to want to do them more and more because your brain likes it. Here's how, how you know. Your brain has neurotransmitters. And when it finds something that it likes, it increases the dopamine level in the, nor- in the brain. And then you get happy. Dopamine is the, the happiness uh, neural. Same thing that alcohol or drugs might do to you. Alcohol actually increases dopamine. Well, right. But I would suggest not uh, pursuing alcoholism as a fair <laughs> pursuit. Uh, unless you're going to brew beer or make wine. Right. Okay. So you're gonna, you want to find something that naturally elevates your dopamine level, and that's creative pursuits. Anything that is creative increases the dopamine level because the brain likes that. The brain is always looking for novelty and new things and, and exciting new uh, learning. So you're going to learn so much, uh, and you, you're going to dopamine level is going to c- go up, and you're going to find yourself most of the time happy. Okay, so let's take one of our people. He's a former accountant again. He likes writing. It gets him excited. He really doesn't know what to write about. He can write about anything. He just finds it fun. How can he make this into a a money-making venture? I would tell him to start a blog Mm -hmm. and just call it your name, Tom Corley, and start writing every day. Your goal should be to post one blog article every day. And it should be about – you don't want to just write about yourself. That's that's not going to get you – you know, where you want to go. What you want to do is you want to write about things. You want to read and research things and then write about it. So find different things to read about. The subject matters that you have an affinity for. Yeah, maybe maybe you do. Maybe you don't even know you do. Uh, who knew that I loved reading about neuroplasticity and neurogenesis? I mean, I'm an accountant, for God's sake. I can't get enough of those books. I must have read about a dozen of them. So you're going to find uh, something that you read. Then you're going to try and... Um, Communicate what you learned in the blog, and then okay. you're going to f- keep doing this, find new things, new research, uh, things that you can read. There's plenty of books out there. They have something called the public library. You can go there and get books for free. And then you start writing and researching these new different areas, and you're going to find something eventually that really piques your interest. And then you, you're going to want to do more research on that area, and next thing you know, after Doing this for some time, it could be after a year only, that you find out this is what I really want to become an expert in. And on the side, you start developing this expertise and, and you become a leader in the industry. I'm, I, I am, the, as my publicist calls me, she says, I'm Mr. Habits. There's nobody out there that talks about it, writes about it, is in the media as much as me on habits. So I found you own that, uh, that uh, area. Yeah, I, I, I found a niche. Uh, who knew I was going to? Honestly, this is so outside of, of what I would have thought 10 years ago. This is, you know, this is completely unique to me. So you'll find the thing that, that is uniquely you and you're not going to have any control over it. It's just going to it's going to consume you and then you just keep doing it. Now, I'm going to do this for, let's say, 25 hours a week. I mean, I really need to make some money here and I need to get this thing going. So instead of one article a day, I'll write four articles a day. Is there any way I can speed this year up to do it in three months to be able to start making some money with this thing? Or is it going to take a year no matter how I do it? it there's no way of telling. Uh, the woman that wrote Fifty Shades of Grey, anybody in the literary industry, from what I've read on the blogs, it's, it's a horribly written book. Nonetheless, it's an incredible story. So that woman didn't let, let her, her lack of writing skills hold her back from writing a book. The point is, though, the more you practice, the better you'll get. But it doesn't mean it's going to take you five years. You could find out that you're just damn good at writing some story about something like Fifty Shades of Grey and you're an overnight success. 
That's the other end of the spectrum. That's rare, but it happens. More often than not, what will happen is you're going to uh, practice and practice and practice, and you're going to get better and better and better. And uh, there's there's some truth to this 10,000-hour rule. Become a professional, an expert. Yeah, there's some truth to it. There's, there are exceptions to it. Those people that have predisposed traits, better at doing certain things than other people just genetically. But you're never going to know that until you try new things. I didn't know I, I was predisposed to be a great writer until I started writing. Uh, I never knew that. So uh, I have this talent that I was hidden for years, for 48 years. I didn't know it. So you got to try new things, and you're going to find that you have certain genetically ingrained talents that come to the surface when you pursue new and novel things. And when you tap into the thing that you're genetically predisposed because you have that talent, it's good. no question about it, it's going to accelerate your success. The trick is finding that thing. Most people don't find that thing that they're just born to do, but they perfect a craft. And then that's where the 10,000 hour rule is. And, you know, the 10,000 hour rule, if you do this full time, that's five years of work. Mm -hmm. So if you're looking at it that way, hey, let's pretend in a worst case scenario, I don't find that innate talent. Well, in five years, guess what's going to happen in five years? You're still going to be five years older. So you might as well start now. The first time, Tom, just go back for a second. The first time that you wrote an article and you realized, wow, I can do this. What, what, what were you writing? What was going on at that point? I, I mean, I was writing a lot of technical articles. I can't say that anybody came and patted me on the back and said, wow, that was a great article on IRAs. I think the first time that somebody said, you're an unbelievable writer, was when I published Rich Habits. And I have a friend who's also CPA. He's in the 1% in terms of intelligence, very successful. He's in that Mm -hmm. 1%. He's just blessed. He's that type of personality where he doesn't hold anything back. And I worked with him, you know, for 10 years. And and when he was my boss some of those years and, and he would, you know, he wouldn't beat around the bush. You did this wrong. So I remember when I released Rich Habits and he was one of the first people to go out and buy it. And my template for Rich Habits was two people, Ernest Hemingway, who writes short and succinctly, and uh, Og Mandino, who wrote The Greatest Salesman in the, in the World. That was the template for Rich Habits, my book, short book to the point. And uh, when my buddy Bill read uh, Rich Habits, he immediately sent me an email and he said, this is one of the best books I've ever read. And now Bill... And he'll tell you the truth. This is a piece of, <laughs> this is a piece of crap is what I would, was expecting to get from Bill. Mm-hmm. Instead, he shocked me. I nearly fell off my chair and I called him up. I said, are you serious? Or are you just blowing smoke? He goes, have I ever blown smoke? I said, no, most of the time you beat me up. He goes, well, mm-hmm. I, I got to be honest with you. I'm shocked. I'm in absolute shock. This is one of the best books. It's the, one of the best books I've ever read. And I knew right then and there that I was a great writer. Now, did you have a fantastic editor or something or, or, or what? Yes. The answer, the answer is yes. I, I got lucky. This is part luck. Part luck that came out of failure. So my story is I, I got a, a traditional publisher to publish Rich Habits. The publisher went bankrupt after six months. And so I was back to square one. But what happened was a self-publisher uh, purchased some of his author rights. Or, and so they, yeah, I happened to be one, one of the 10 that got purchased or whatever. And uh, so they, they called me up and they said, you know, hey, congratulations. We're interested in, they were kind of a select self-publisher. If you're not up to snuff, they, you know, they send you money back and they say, you know, go on, go on your way. What publishing company is that? I want to know the name of that. Hillcrest one. Media. Okay. They're not cheap. 
in the self-publishing world, cheap, you get what you pay for. It sounds like life. So, so Hillcrest <laughs> called me up and said, congratulations. Uh, we're interested in, in um, you know, bringing you on. And you can, you know, publish your book with us. Uh, oh, and guess what? It's going to cost you $6,000. So, uh, you know, at that point. Not, you were trying to decide if you were getting conned or not. Yeah, I was already pregnant, Ken. <laughs> and I, was, I was, wasn't going to have an abortion. So I, uh, I said, all right, well, who do I make the check out to? That, but what happened was bad luck that I had of my traditional publisher going, going bankrupt turned into good luck because it had so happened that Hillcrest Media happens to be the, the best in the business. And they do two things. They just don't edit. They do uh, structural edit. Okay. And then they do copy editing. The structural edit is where they butter their bread, in my opinion. And they pretty much tore my manuscript apart. I got four pages of there's nothing but harsh criticism. And and then at the end, they said, if you can't fix this to our satisfaction, we're going to drop you. And what about your money? Yeah, of course, I'll get my money back, right? Uh, so for about two days, you know, I was putting the noose around my neck, taking it off, putting the noose around my neck, taking it off. Finally, I sat down one morning and I said, you know, enough of this nonsense. And I started uh, working at it and it took two weeks. But, oh, my gosh, what they pushed me to do was incredible. And they, I completely rewrote the book. And it's because of their criticism that it, it evolved into the book that, that became, you know, a national bestseller. And uh, so they're, they're tip in my mind, they're worth their weight in gold and what they do. But they published the essence of what you figured out, even though they made you redo it. But but they didn't lose your character, and they didn't lose the message you were trying to to give. They saw they saw the value of the story, just like the the publisher uh, who saw the value of the Fifty Shades of Grey story. They saw that dirty kid with mud all over his face, ripped jeans, torn pants, with no shoes on. And they said. This could be someone who's dressed in king's clothing. This could be something great. And so they worked very hard with me in turning this into the, you know, you know, the finished product that it became. So it sounds like, Tom, to me, in some ways, everyone probably has a book, whether it's a good book. We'll find out when you go to someone like Hillcrest. But everyone has a book. Get down and start writing it and don't worry about what anyone thinks. Yeah, you can't. If you're starting out and writing a book, and you're thinking I'm going to be one of those rare superstar authors who sells a million books, you're going to be in for a rude awakening. Let me tell you, I've, I've sold thirty thousand books. I'm self-published. I sold thirty thousand books or so. I've been on TV, CBS Nightly News. I've been on four or five other TV shows. I was on Yahoo Finances, a financially fit show that went viral. With 2.2 million hits, it's the has the most hits out of any of their TV shows ever. And uh, I also MSN Money wrote an article that went viral. I had all of this incredible success. I've been in Success Magazine and hundreds of things. I I won't even bore your your listeners, but I've only sold 30,000 copies. Where's the million? Where's the two million? Well, this is one of those journeys. This these careers. To a large extent, your success is outside your control. The only control you, you have is your ability to persist every day in trying to get publicity for your book. And that's what I do every day. I realize there's some things I can't control, but the only thing I can control is my efforts. And I'm going to keep trying. And one day, uh, something's going to happen. The tipping point, I call it, the avalanche of success event. It's going to happen. You know, the 30,000 will go to 100,000 to, to a million. I know it. I know the book is good enough to, to sell 
10 million, 20 million copies. I know that. But so much of this is outside your control. So for anybody that's out there that's thinking about writing and is going to be a, uh, sell a million books, that's great. That's not a goal, by the way. That's a dream. That's a wish. <laughs> Don't confuse it with a goal because you'll, mm-hmm. you'll get very depressed at not achieving your goal. Just keep pursuing your dream because uh, it's a great dream and uh, it's possible. There have been people that, that have written books that are horrible writers that uh, sell millions of copies. You know, David Chilton, who's the uh, author of The Wealthy Barber, he sold two and a half million copies of that book. I, I called him or I reached out to him and, and he called me back because one of, two of my uh, readers emailed me and said, hey, your book reminded me of The Wealthy Barber, except it was a lot better. So I said, wait a minute. If this guy sold two and a half million copies of a book that's not even as good as mine, why can't I sell millions of copies? So I emailed uh, David and I said, what the heck did you do? Uh, to sell 2.5 million copies of your book. Evidently, my book is better than your book. And I, I copied them in on the emails that I received from the readers. Mm-hmm. And uh, he called me up immediately. He lives in Canada. But he, nonetheless, he called me within two minutes wow. of getting the email. Nice. And uh, I spent uh, about a half an hour on the phone with him. And so his secret, he said, uh, your book only needs to be good enough. It doesn't have to be great. Uh, it doesn't have to be really, really good. It just needs to be good enough. And the way he described being successful in the author business is this way. He said, writing a book is like the first serve in tennis. The rest of the match is about publicity. And he had enormous success because he was able to get, he called it conquering the media. He was able to get on TV. He was able to get on the radio, hundreds and hundreds of radio interviews. He was able to do a special for PBS. He just never stopped conquering the media. And that's why he sold two and a half million copies of his book. Now, I, I'm just thinking, and maybe you've already thought about this, but I mean, I, I figure, let's say you made $7 a book profit. I don't know if I'm anywhere near. Is that? Yeah, it's, that about, it's about, not on Amazon. On Amazon, it's about $2 a book. Well, let's say, let's say averaged out all the books, five bucks a piece. Yeah. Would that be reasonable? Okay. So $5 times 30,000. So that's, uh, what, 150,000? Yeah, about like, there, right. Okay, so you got 150,000 there, but right now because you're right at, on the everyone the tip of everyone's tongue, you could probably make another 150,000 from just speaking for the year. You could probably double that just just going around doing the speaking tour, couldn't you? I mean, yeah. uh, if you got 10,000 at each time, which I don't think would be hard for your name, you only need to speak 15 times this next year and you'd have 300,000, wouldn't you? That's exactly actually what I do get on my speaking engagements if it's in the states. So 10,000. Yeah. Okay, so my guesses are getting close here. Good. And, and you know, what's interesting is um, I was asked to speak, individual named Robin Sharma. He sold 6 million copies. He wrote a book uh, called The Le- Leader Without a Title. So he, he has this uh, Titan Summit every year. He invites uh, about 200 people to it. They pay $25,000 a pop. Wow. It's a week-long session. And um, he heard... On the Success Magazine article that was written about me, they didn't just do an article. They also interviewed me for the CD that goes in the, the, no, the November issue, the mm-hmm. issue. And I was the, the main person on that CD. And he heard the CD and he was blown away. So he he called me up and, of course, he asked me to speak. And uh, I, I got to speak alongside with Richard Branson. Nice. I don't know if you know Dr. Amen, Daniel Amen. He's pretty famous, too. Maybe I got to interview him. Change your brain, change your life. Oh, okay. He's, the guy's on PBS every weekend. Uh, I've probably read his book. I read tons of books, and sometimes I get them all mixed together because I've, I've read so many <laughs> business books. I mean, I read business books. 
I'm on holidays and I'm under the umbrella reading a business book. Well, that's, that's good. That's what you want. Uh, that's one of the rich habits, reading for self-education. So um, what's it, I guess my point is that, you know, this writing has opened up. I, it turns out I knew I always knew I was a good speaker. That was something I, I wasn't surprised by because I had done speaking engagements before. And I, I taught also at graduate school and, and college uh, oh, okay. at, at night. So I knew I was, very, it was a natural. Yeah, I knew I was good at that. I just never had a springboard to do it except with rich habits. Now I do. And so uh, now what's happening is I'm getting you know, um, more and more of these paid speaking engagements. Mm-hmm. It's all uh, direct. It's co- There's a correlation between the number of books that you sell and the number of paid speaking engagements you get. So when you get to, uh, evidently, you get to 30,000 books, you get a couple a year. When I, I imagine when you get to a couple million books, you get a couple hundred a year. So it's it's a direct correlation. And I'm not there yet where the phone's ringing off the hook and they're saying, hey, we, you know, we'd like you to, I did get asked to go to Nigeria, which I turned down. <laughs> you weren't sure if you are going to make it back. Yeah, I was a little concerned about the uh, terrorist groups over there. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, asked somebody is trying to get me down in Singapore. Uh, so I, I get these people that become rabid fans and they want me to speak at their organizations. But I imagine as I sell more and more of these books, as I get more and more exposure, I'm going to have more and more of these speaking engagements, which is revenue stream number four. This is, you know, I found in my research, there were 65% of the wealthy in my study had three or more revenue streams and 45% had four or more. So this is something that I'm really obsessed with, uh, creating additional revenue streams, because that's what wealthy people do. And I, I think it's a lesson for your, your listeners that, hey, if you want, uh, you want to be really wealthy and successful, and I'm talking about wealth, not just high income. Uh, you have to have these multiple streams of income. You have to develop them. And the only way to develop them is by taking action. Why don't you create like a private group, mastermind group of 500 people and they pay 100 a month each. So you'd have 50,000 a month income. You'd have more than the speaking and the books combined right now. I would love to. I, I don't think I could make that happen yet. Even if only 20 <laughs> signed up, that would be uh, 100 times 20. That's an extra 2,000 a month. But I mean, I bet you you'd get a hundred. Yeah. So if you had, if you had a hundred people, you'd be making ten thousand a month extra right now. What I'm working on right now, Ken, is a uh, a rich habits uh, workbook, and mm-hmm. so we're going to turn that into a webinar. Yeah, that'll be. And, and then we'll get people because uh, it's unique. What my my research is unique, and my habit change strategies are completely different than everybody else's. So uh, I have just a wealth of research and, and experience in, in researching habits. So there's really not too many people out there that that know as much about habits change and habit formation as I do. And so we're going to put out that, that rich habits workbook and it's uh, we'll, we'll be doing webinars and things like that. But the one thing I'm trying to do, because I'm not good at, I have an, a unique ability I found following this main purpose of mine that I'm great at focusing like a laser on one thing at a time. When I have three things in the air, I'm not very good at that. So I uh, devote time like a laser beam, I'm focused on rich habits for a number of hours out of the day. Then I shift and I go to my CPA business and then I shift and I go to my financial planning business. I can't do multitask. I can't do. Well, I don't think anyone can, because if you try to multitask, then all the things you're doing suffer. Yeah, I like this call multitasking, multifailing. I go along with that. I mean, they know scientific, it's a scientific fact that you can't think two things at once. So right. even though you can go back and forth between those things so fast, it looks like you are, you're not. So both things, 
you know, you're only half your time in each one. And so you're, the, the value, the power of your thinking drops. Like when I'm talking to you and interviewing you, I can't be having notes. I, I take the odd word here and then I write it down. But if I'm focused on what questions I'm going to ask you, then I can't really get to the essence of anything because uh, I can never get to any depth. So that's why I like this casual conversation we have because we can go deeper and deeper right. without you know a structure that may cause us to stop. You know. Yeah. But it's focus. You're right. It's got to be focus. Yeah, I think that's one of the keys to success too. Is uh, when you find that thing that you're passionate about, it, it creates something that I call unforced focus. Mm-hmm. Forced focus is using your willpower. Uh, it's like studying for an exam. It's forced focus. Or, or doing work at work that you're not passionate about. That's forced focus. That's using willpower, which is using glucose and oxygen, and that's the energy of the brain. And it, that's why after an hour of forced focus, you get tired and you need to rest. Unforced focus is completely different animal. It doesn't utilize a great deal of the glucose and the oxygen in the brain because it's something that you enjoy doing, and the brain when it likes doing something, it, it marshals all of its resources to that one thing. That's great. And, and when it doesn't like doing something, it reserves its resources. It pulls them back, and that's why you get tired. Uh, so this unforced focus, when you have it, they call it uh, being in the flow. I'm telling you, it's amazing. I, I have had instances where in the morning, especially during tax season, which just well, I just finished with here in the States, in the morning, I would be so tired because I worked 14 hours a day before, and I didn't want to do any writing, but I have this uh, tip of the morning, too, that I, I do every every morning. And I got into the flow. I couldn't believe it. I hated starting to type about what I, the topic. And the next thing I know, an hour and a half had passed, and uh, I didn't even break to do jump on my Stairmaster and do my exercise that morning because I was in the flow. I couldn't stop. Mm-hmm. And, and it's amazing when, when you start – that's why taking actions – critical because even if you hate or or you have this negative perception about starting something, if you get into the flow, that all goes away. And it has an, it creates an enormous amount of energy inside of you that. And there we go. That's the point right there. The one depletes your energy. The other one actually energizes you. It doesn't take from you. It gives. Yeah, I could go. I've had it. When I was writing Rich Habits, this is the first experience I had with this flow stuff or unforced focus. I would come home from work and I would say, I'm going to write for an hour. I'd be at it till 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night, which would be about three hours worth of work. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to stop. And I had just finished a good 10-hour day. It's amazing to me. So this is why you got to find that thing that creates this unforced focus that allows you to get in the flow. It's got to be creative because that's, that's, I think, the key, the common element. It's got to be creative. And, uh, boy, when you find that flow, that's – flow really – means money flow, cash flow, because eventually you're going to make a lot of money. And when you're doing something you really love, you get really good at it real quick. So the, the secret is where's your flow? That's what you've got to be looking for. Yeah, you want not only, not only cash flow, you want flow flow. You want flow flow. Yeah, exactly. Oh, this has uh, been great. Uh, a great time uh, Thank you. Uh, talking with you, Tom. Uh, I know I was only supposed to take an hour already past that. <laughs> yeah, I can talk uh, about this stuff all day. I love it. Oh, it, it is. It's wonderful. What kind of final, you know, few moments that you might want to tell the people to, you know, the age group and you know where they're, what they're struggling with, Tom, or you have some idea. Yeah. What, what, do you, what do you have to say? Well, I'm a boomer just like you guys, so I know everything you're going through. I, every time I come out with uh, new research, I, I post it to my blog. So you can go to richhabits.net 
All my research is on there. They can download free. There's free eBooks. There's free reports. Uh, so I put a lot of free information on the website and on, I have a tip of the morning to you. So if you go to richhabits.net, you'll get all, all of my real time information uh, that eventually works its way into my books. So you're getting the early book if you go to the blog. Yeah. In fact, one of the downsides of, of being an author is I get about 10% of the people that read Rich Habits. They mark it down as one star. I get 80% or five stars, four and five stars, 10% or one stars. I don't know why. They just hate what, what I'm doing, but. It's probably your competitor, so you went over there to give you a comment. <laughs> but what, but what, what was interesting is one of the individuals who put down the one star said, you know, you're better off going to his website. He has, his website has more information on it. And, you know, there's only so much information you could put in a book, Ken. You've oh, got 100 sure. to 150, 200 pages. That's all you, you really got. People will lose interest after 200 pages. I, there's only so much information. So I, I do put a lot of uh, – my new research really does work its way into my website and then into my books. And I'm working on a book right now, Change Your Habits, Change Your Life, which is going to be about habit change. So that will be coming out later this year. Well, the funny thing is you're one – the guy that only gave you a one <laughs> – because a lot of people will look at the one first to see what was wrong. Yeah. And then when he turns around and says, but your website's fantastic, yeah. <laughs> he became your best promoter. <laughs> you know, I, I think there's a lot of truth in that. Uh, you know, I, I don't take it to heart when people criticize me. I know there's people out there that you're going to love what you do. or What you want is you want to just try. I mean, there's people that are going to hate you before you say anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't matter what you say. I found, I, already hate you. I found that out with CNN. Oh, did you? Yeah, they do not like anything that I do. Oh, <laughs> oh that's too bad. Yeah. But hey, as long as all the other networks love you, then it doesn't matter. Yeah, and CBS seems to love me, and uh, you know, uh, I get Fox. MS, MSN doesn't hate me either. So uh, hey, you know, you, here's the thing: is if you're pleasing everyone, then there's probably something wrong. <laughs> I agree with that. You know, whatever you do involves risk when you're pursuing something. It does involve risk, and I just wrote an article that uh, I know is going to uh, piss off a lot of people. And it's uh, why some parents create self-made millionaires and others create welfare recipients. I know it's it's kind of a harsh topic, but, you know, in it, there's all my research on, on why right. you know, a lot of the self-made millionaires in my study learn, most of them learn their habits from their parents. And most of the poor people learn their habits from their parents. So sometimes you, you tick off people uh, and sometimes it's it's the right thing to do. Well, the only thing is, is that you got to bar the doors, Katie, because <laughs> they're going to realize that you're talking about them and they're not going to be happy. But I mean, yeah, someone's going to tell them the truth, but sometimes, you know, it's uh, the repercussions are not good. <laughs> yeah, I've been I've been on the receiving end of that. OK, well, that was, this has been great, uh, Tom. Yeah, Enjoyed uh, you as a, as a person, too. Just a, a great personality. Uh, hopefully in a few months. Uh, we could uh, interview you again and see what other new books you're writing and what you're up to, if that's okay. Yeah, I'd be, be, I'd be honored. I appreciate that. Thanks. All right. Uh, well, I'll, I'll just say uh, thank you again, Tom, and uh, look forward to talking to you in the future. Thank you, Ken. All right. Bye now. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Income for Baby Boomers with your host, Ken Queen. Helping boomers like you get a business started you can run from your own home. We interview owners of both online and offline businesses, but most importantly, ones that are run by baby boomers. Stay tuned next week for new and exciting businesses that you can start from your home. Until next time, have a profitable and blessed week.